Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Therapy Matters Podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. I'm your host, Scott Rangu, and today I'm joined by Vita Komar, healthcare attorney that specializes in compliance. Vita, thanks for joining the show today. Thank you, Scott, for having me. So Vita, in over two decades of being in healthcare technology, I've seen innovation drive so many efficiencies and, and value to constituents across the board. But due to the nature of healthcare, right, compliance uh, is so important to protect not only the providers, staff, but also patients. Um, today, would love to kind of just jump in and get your perspective on the landscape and what our listeners should be aware of to be um, protective of themselves, uh, just involved in, in everything healthcare. Yes, thank you, Scott. Um, before we get started, I do want to mention that this the information that we'll talk about today is for educational purposes. I am a licensed attorney, but I'm not offering any legal advice and we're not forming an attorney-client relationship. So now that we've got the the legal disclaimer <laughs> out of the way, I when I think about compliance in healthcare, this is always changing, but as of today's podcast, the big, the three big hot topics are billing fraud, HIPAA regulatory compliance, particular, particularly around right of access, patient right of access, timeliness, and then certified electronic health records. And when I say certified, certified by the Office of National Coordinator. So those are the three big topics. Yeah. So so maybe let's start there with with billing fraud, right? So you see it in the news all the time. Uh, you know, from your perspective, what's the biggest risk to to providers? So when it comes to billing, healthcare billing in the United States is extremely complicated and that is growing with every passing day in 2015 ICD-9 became ICD-10 um quadrupling the number of diagnostic codes that are available. Those codes are important and they change every year. And then you have your billing codes, the CPT codes or the other, you know, CPT equivalent codes um, for billing the services. And those codes have their own definitions and you have to make sure that you're always billing the right code. Um, If not, then you're, you could be getting paid for services that you didn't provide, and that can cause a lot of problems with government payers and commercial payers. Um, and then the, and on the other side of, you know, billing risk is just the mindset by health, the healthcare community sometimes that, that it's a victimless crime. You know, nobody's hurt by not making sure that billing is is um, accurate um, and that nobody's really watching. So it doesn't matter. It can be, a, you know, an afterthought, you know, pro- provide good clinical care, but let's just kind of zip through our billing. It doesn't matter if we're doing it right. Um, and that does get a lot of providers in trouble. So those are the biggest risks that I see. Yeah. So it's almost really a question of oftentimes, you know, again, you see, you see it in the news all the time. You see lawsuits across the board happening to not only larger groups, but, but small independent practices that are out there. 
and that you know one begs the question is it is it fraudulent right or is it sloppy work that's being done by the practices or or by the the staff of the of the providers and i agree with that it you know it, fraudulent sometimes fraudulent can have a mindset component some a healthcare provider is intending to get paid for not providing services. So that's, you know, the extreme end. And there are providers that you'll see in the Department of Justice press releases that they've rounded up a group of providers. They had a billing fraud scheme. They were not providing any services or they were providing services by unlicensed providers, which, you know, is the equivalent of not providing services. And so the the Department of Justice will investigate, step in, press charges, and those providers are going to prison most likely. But the other end of the spectrum is not having the mindset of wanting to commit fraud, not not wanting to get paid for services that aren't provided, but just a sloppy mentality that I call it billing by feel. If it feels right, let's bill it. But that that's not the way that you would want to provide clinical care. You would want to make sure your clinical care was based on evidence. Um, it was supported by strong quality evidence. That's how you should also treat billing. The ICD-10 diagnostic codes have to be accurate. Your billing codes have to be accurate. So sloppy billing practices can get you in trouble as well. And the consequences can still be pretty hefty, right? Even if it is uh, innocent, but yet sloppy. Correct. Correct. So when I talked about the providers that have the healthcare fraud scheme, I mean, you know, billing, you know, millions of dollars, couple hundred thousand dollars to a government payer for services that you didn't provide, you probably do have prison in your future. Um but if you if you are not paying careful attention and you are just um billing whatever you feel seems right or you're you know maybe somebody in your healthcare network had told you oh you should always just bill this code for this service then those are also practices that can get you in trouble and while those don't necessarily lead to possibly going to trial with the government and maybe facing um, imprisonment, they could lead to other very severe penalties. So some of those penalties could be you have to pay that money back. Obviously, if you get money, anyone that's ever filed taxes knows the IRS can come back and, and recapture that money. That can happen in healthcare too. But then you have to pay that money back with penalties, and sometimes those penalties can be triple um, the other serious consequence of not billing correctly is that you can be excluded from participation in federal health care programs. And so referencing a big case that we all probably were aware of, the Theranos case with Elizabeth Holmes, I don't think a lot of providers realize that she is she's is going to prison. Um, but she's also excluded from participating in any government health care program for about a decade. Um, oh. And so that means you can't bill Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, the VA. 
And if you can't build the government programs and you won't also be able to build the commercial payers, they will also take actions to exclude you from participating in their networks. And so then it's down to cash pay only. And you do go on a website where patients can look you up and find out that you're sanctioned. You know, it's interesting. The billing is complicated, right? I mm-hmm. mean, to I think the, the term you use, right, it's... Um, you can't do it by just a feel. And so what advice would you give to, to groups that are, uh, they, they need to do their billing, right? Obviously to, to survive, but what are some things that they can do to avoid um, getting in, tr- in trouble, you know, accidentally, right? And, and not necessarily fraudulently. So that's, that's a good question. There are several things that providers can do to, you know, lower their risk, And to set up a good defense against, you know, for themselves in case they're audited. And the first and foremost is recognizing that this is really complicated. And, um, you know, I don't change my own oil. I don't do my own taxes. I hire professionals. That the same goes for billing. Hiring a qualified billing company, you know, making sure that you really vet that billing company, you know, who you know, what, what are their credentials? Is this one person billing out of their house? And if they go away, um, you have no more billing company and then you have to scramble. And if you're audited, then you can't provide any proof of good practice. Or is this a billing company with, you know, that's, uh, incorporated or, um, registered as a legal entity in a state has good insurance, has employees that are trained, um, they're constantly keeping up to date on best practices, just like, you know, our physical therapists, our speech therapists, uh, our OTs are always going to continuing education. You want your billing company to be doing that as well, because that means that they're monitoring the changing landscape. Um, you're, you know, if you decide, uh, you know, it is not industry practice in the, in the, rehabilitation, habilitation world to have certified coders perform the coding. So if you're a provider doing your own coding, which is perfectly acceptable, making sure that you are finding good resources uh, to know if you're billing the right diagnostic codes, like, you know, ICD-10.com is a great website for diagnostic codes. Pick a Pick some codes that you use regularly and, and you know, have a cheat sheet to make sure you're constantly looking at those definitions. Same with the billing codes, the CPT codes and the equivalent um, billing codes is to make sure that you are billing correctly. And that means looking at the definition of that code, um, you know, purchasing the AMA manuals for CPT codes and, and making sure that your documentation supports those codes. And then when it comes to your billing company, developing that strong communication with them, every really quality billing company understands all of those administrative uh, requirements. Like, do you need to have a KX modifier on these certain um, procedures? Or do you need to have your patient sign a Medicare advanced be- beneficiary notice 
And if you can't lean on your billing company to help you uh, answer those complicated questions and you don't have the right billing company in place, it's time to start uh, researching a better one. So knowing your codes, uh, staying up as much as you can on those, and then and then putting in place a really quality billing professional. Yeah. And don't forget, make sure you get somebody to change your oil, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so professionals doing your billing and, uh, and, and your oil changes. Absolutely. So, so let's shift gears a bit. You know, you mentioned HIPAA, particularly the right to access, you know, um, in the HIPAA area, what's the one biggest risk for the providers? Similar question on the, on the previous topic. So when it comes to HIPAA, this changes often, uh, obviously, all of the requirements remain in place, but the the enforcement trends change, and the Department of Health and Human Services has a special enforcement arm of HIPAA called the Office for Civil Rights, and they pick new trends based on the complaints that they get through their website, and over the past couple of years, they have very heavily started to target the patient's right of access. Patients have a right to their medical records. Um, that right is has a 30-day time limit subject to very tiny exceptions. There are new rules that are coming down the pike by the government that are going to shorten that time frame. You cannot uh, it put in place hurdles for your patient to get their records. If, they, if you can give it to them electronically, you should do so. You can't charge excessive fees. And so providers are really getting fined, big fines in this area. And patients know that they have this right and they will easily make a complaint. So this is by far the biggest risk at this time period. Um, and then if you say, well, I'm a cash pay provider, I have to comply with HIPAA, there are still state privacy laws that are being implemented. Um, I mean, it's it's incredible how many states are starting to adopt their own privacy regulations. So those laws also apply to an individual's right to access their information. So across the board, there is this mentality that people have a right to, to access their information and it should be in ways they need it. For providers that don't provide that access, don't comply, are consequences, are those outlined at this point in time or is it still gray? Um, so the HIPAA underlying regulations have very clear penalties, and it can be up to $1.5 million for knowingly, intentionally disregarding the rules. And so if, and the rules have been out there since before 2013, so a provider that doesn't provide access to those records faces steep penalties. I you think how, you know, a busy healthcare practice, how, you know, how am I supposed to keep up on this? I mean, we get these requests constantly now. Right. Um, and I would say, you know, kind of along the theme of getting a good billing provider, you know, making sure that you have the technology in place to support you in providing those mm -hmm. records. Yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. And that was going to be my next question, right? I mean, how do you avoid the risk, right? There's constant requests coming into a, to a practice probably on a daily, weekly basis. Um, and, you know, you, 
you have to manage it, right? You don't have much of a choice in the matter uh, to to prevent the risk. But um, I think perhaps as you alluded to, putting the right tools in place to help to help automate that mm-hmm. um, certainly will help will help out. Yeah. So exactly, yeah. you know, making sure you're you're that you have electronic medical record software and that it has a patient portal, and then that's the most secure way to provide those records. And then you don't have to worry that you could have your patient submit their request to the portal, and then you can provide that information as simply as possible and probably free of charge to you in terms of not having to photocopy, you know, not you know, running the risk that you accidentally provide somebody else's records with those records, which just happened. So, yeah, yeah, sending somebody's uh, PHI to another another patient, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be good. Exactly. So in the time that we have left, um, perhaps let's touch on on the value of a of a certified product. Um, you know, all EMRs are are not created equal, and you know, a good EMR has to do more with just creating documentation, right? I think sometimes it's like, oh, system just documents and then uh, sends a claim out um, and maybe schedules a patient. But can you give some perspective on for our listeners? You know. What the difference is? What what would classify as a certified product? Um, so before I answer that question, I'd like to step back and just take a quick big picture view of of where healthcare is going, where the Department of Health and Human Services, the federal level, wants to take healthcare, because I think it helps us to think about these aren't just compliance boxes we're checking. There is a bigger vision here, and that's that one day. Our government wants all of our records to be connected to big hubs and for that data to flow easily so that if you, you know, live in Arizona, but you go on vacation in Alaska and you get injured, your doctor, the emergency room doctor has access to your records or you don't have to go through the hurdles of gathering all your records. If you find a new doctor, your doctor can plug in and access those records, and that data can start to be used in meaningful ways to improve the quality of our health care. And so the only way that you can connect all of these different healthcare systems is to make sure that they're secure, um, that you know patient portals and messaging is secure, um, that they all have the, the healthcare data in certain formats. And that's the only way that you would be able to accomplish this objective. So what had happened many years ago is that the, the Office of National Coordinator, which is a subdivision of the Department of Health, said we're going to certify records. We're going to start to put in rigorous standards in place to make sure these aren't, um, you know, they're not records, you know, healthcare record systems that somebody created in their home and then started selling that has tons of security holes and different types of database formats. And so now to be able to 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 achieve that certification standard through the ONC is a very it's a high standard, it's a high bar to overcome, but what it means is that 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 system can do so much. It can provide the data that is required by emerging regulations. It can hook up to these hubs. It's secure. Um, It has good security protocols in place. 
And so that's above and beyond, um, you know, the, what you can buy just in the general marketplace for the therapy world. So that's what it means to have a certification. So Vita, you know, would there really be a downside to using a certified product then at this point? Scott, I would say that the only downside right now is that there isn't a lot of availability in terms of certified products that are geared towards the unique workflows of the therapy industry. However, we know that we know the bigger vision. I talked about this bigger vision of creating these centralized systems and lots of data sharing and data use in different formats. And we also know that meaningful use physicians were required to uh, use the certified health records just probably about a decade ago and that that trend will start to spread quickly across to the other industries of healthcare. And so there will be a time in the near future where therapists will be expected to have adopted these type of certified products. Yeah, it's almost uh, one could speculate that it's not a matter of if, but when uh, that that this is going to happen. Exactly. So, Vita, I think we are just about out of time. But if you could, yeah, I feel like on all of these topics, we could probably spend an entire podcast or maybe even two on on each of them, uh, depending on how deep we went. But if you could leave any one or two items for our listeners, what, what would they be? I would say. Make sure that you are billing correctly and don't do it alone. Find an expert. Use quality electronic health record products to support your practice. And that would include certified products that have really quality patient portals so that you can provide records and fulfill requests. So those are my big takeaways for today's conversation. Absolutely. Well, Vita, it was such a pleasure to spend uh, a little bit of time with you here today, and hopefully we can do it again in the future. I'd like to thank our audience as well for tuning into Therapy Matters Podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Take care and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Therapy Matters. Do you like the podcast? Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. Want to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest speaker? Contact me at allison.jones at raintreeinc.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot jones at raintreeinc.com. Therapy Matters is brought to you by Raintree, therapy and rehab's favorite EMR. Raintree is the only all-in-one therapy EMR delivering a complete and seamless end-to-end patient journey from first contact to payment to patient retention. To learn more about Raintree, visit us online at raintreeinc.com.